0: This is Takeaway Only, a podcast about the hospitality industry in crisis. I'm Howie Kahn, and these are the stories of the people who take care of you. Today's guests are Kevin Baim and Rob Katz from Boca Restaurant Group in Chicago. Over the course of the last two decades, Kevin and Rob have built one of the most exciting restaurant groups in the country. They have 23 concepts in Chicago and 2,000 employees. Before COVID-19 hit, they were on their way to their most successful year yet. Hear what Kevin and Rob did when Celebration turned to triage and how these two dynamic leaders are now marshalling all their resources, including their own money, to take care of their staff and their industry. We're back tomorrow with an all-new guest. Please hit subscribe so you don't miss it. Stay tuned now for Kevin Bame, Speaking First, and Rob Katz.
1: Howie, the last time we were together, I think we were eating a Philly cheesesteak together and having the discussion, are we living in the golden age of restaurants? I think we, we transitioned to the dark ages, unfortunately.
2: It was just a couple weeks ago and uh, it, it really looking back on it, it has a, a Last Supper vibe.
1: It, it really was, you know, COVID was happening at that point, but it's amazing how little that was part of the discussion at that point.
3: I, and, I you, know, you know, Howie, you
1: know it's the most fucked up is it's like three
3: weeks ago. Kevin and I were high-fiving and patting ourselves on the back for being on pace for the best first quarter in the history of our company and we were certainly on pace for our best year in history and and now we're fighting for our very existence and that's literally in the in 3 weeks time it's completely upside down the snap of the fingers
2: so you guys have 22 restaurants that were all contributing to your erstwhile best year ever. Tell me about the process of deciding to close down all 22.
1: Well, you know, it's, it's, it's such a crazy thing to even enter into a conversation about. You know, at, at the very beginning, as it began to evolve, you know, and as, as our employees started to talk about being fearful of coming to work and us changing SOPs and deciding... We're going to buy 150 thermometers and take everybody's temperature before they go to work. That was the initial discussion. How do we stay open and at the same time keep employees safe? And then within about 48 hours from beginning that conversation, it was, you know what, for the, for the safety of our guests, for the safety of our employees, um, it looks like we're going to have to shut down temporarily. And that is just such a difficult conversation to have. And then you got to start to think about all the repercussions of that. Because once you turn off that spigot of cash flow um, and you start calculating accounts payable and payroll that's due um, and paid time off and extending health insurance benefits, I don't care if you're Boeing or GM or a 10 table neighborhood restaurant, it, that's going to be devastating to you financially in a very, very short amount of time. So it wasn't, it was a, first a conversation about safety, second, a conversation about how we're going to take care of our team, and then the third conversation was, can we survive and still be able to do that? It, and so for us, you know, myself and Rob, and talking to our, our, our corporate team, that was a difficult conversation just because we'd never done it before. We were we were operating on a brand new playbook, and you know, you know, we, you couldn't you couldn't Google search YouTube for a YouTube video on how to survive a global pandemic and run a restaurant for the same. The days leading up to our closure. You know, it became
3: mandated, you know, by, by, the, by the governor and, and the city of Chicago as well. But the scary part was that business was changing rapidly. And, you know, we were getting to a point where we were losing money anyway. And that, that was a, a kind of a scary time for us because the writing was on the wall even before we decided to close or we were mandated to close, you know, by civil authority we were starting to see business fall off a cliff. So clearly something was afoot anyway. You know, we, we we're very fortunate. We made calls to our, our lenders at that point and said, hey, we need to secure a line of credit here and we better do it fast. And you know, we're, we're very lucky that we were able to do that because um, at least we have some security now because there's no chance we could have survived without some sort of fiscal help. And we are luckier than most in every scenario, right? We've, we're lucky that we've had some success, but we needed help immediately. So
1: we're very, we very—we felt very lucky that we got that loan from our bank. What's crazy about this whole thing, Howie, is like—I mean, everybody that's in this business, and you know a lot of people in this business—you know—you discover early on that it's not easy. You know, it's not, that's not for the meek, you know, what's the, to invoke the Godfather, you know, this is the business we've chosen, but what's happening right now has nothing to do with taking those chances. We're collateral damage of something, um, right now of what's happening. Um, so it's, it's kind of, it's, it's frustrating. Um, uh, you know, it makes me, it makes me sad. It makes me angry. It makes me feel helpless. It's, it's all those things.
2: What did you do with the line of credit? How did it help
3: Well, we needed, I mean, look, as Kevin said, you turn the spigot off of our cash flow. That's what we rely on to pay um, all our payables, our rent, our payroll, everything, right? When that's turned off, we were in a position where we didn't even have enough cash on hand to cover all of our expenses and our obligations. So we have to payroll was the first and foremost thing for us was we want to make sure that we can take care of our team immediately and make sure we make payroll and that we can pay our health benefits. You know, things that, you know, other things, rent that we knew we had two weeks to sort of figure out payables have terms. So we were certainly not in the rears on anything like that. So our main objective was to make sure we made payroll, that we could pay health benefits all the way through April at the very least. Um, And we really wanted to make sure that we we're going to be in a position financially where we could weather this storm and reopen and have our 2,000 employees come back to work. I mean, really, really important to us. And so we fought hard to do it. We secured our money. And you know, at least now we're going to be able to answer the bell. What happens after the bell rings, that's a whole other story.
1: Also, we put a, a fund together at the beginning that we seeded with money because you know, there's the realization that a lot of people that work for you work check to check. Um, and so very, very early on, about a week into that, you start to look at people who needed stuff right away. And so it, it ended up being kind of working triage that way and, and saying this person needs something sent Postmates <laughs> to their house or this person needs groceries or whatever it was. I mean diapers, baby formula the necessities for people
3: with, you know, infants that they couldn't even afford to get diapers and baby food. So we wanted to make sure that we had a list um, sort of, of the most dire circumstances. And we were post-mating um, Kevin, myself, our, our families and our team here at folk Restaurant Group. We're making sure that we can get necessities into some of our, our employees hands.
2: One thing I like about what you guys did is, is you Put your own money into this between the two of you you put a hundred thousand dollars into the fund
1: well it was it it was it was important for us not just to do that but for the team to feel like we were engaged with them i don't think that um uh, you know people communicate enough in life (laughs) Um, when something like this happens being able to reach out to your employees a lot which abby Kreitzler, who is, is part is our chief culture officer um is so good about communicating with people and Sending things out to people and, and just giving them um, a, 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 a something to hold on to like if you need us, reach out to us, we're here. you know um, and so I, I think that was uh, really important for us to kind of over communicate on the, on the beginning side of it, because um, everybody was kind of like didn't know what was happening, including us, so we, we kind of talked through it together.
2: and how much money have you been able to raise?
1: Raised about another hundred thousand on top. Yeah, we're we're sitting at two hundred thousand right now.
2: And this is this is to be distributed amongst two thousand employees. And it's
3: already going well. Yes, but we it's have you have, you have yeah. to tier, You have to kind of tier that. Mm-hmm. I mean, for for people who are really in, you know, in dire straits. So I mean, I think some of that money is going out um, via a credit card
1: mechanism this week. Yeah, we we basically did put a five hundred one c three together, um, which you need to do for for tax reasons, and then. Uh, distributing that through digital gift cards that they can use um, out to those people. And we basically did put an application together and then tiered it on three different tiers based on need. Um, we thought that that was a lot more impactful than just dividing it by the amount of employees um, and, you know, giving everybody a hundred bucks or whatever, or whatever that comes out to there were people that needed $500 and there were people that only needed $50. So um, we've just been trying to by committee help make those decisions.
2: So you've really had to flip your organization to be a relief organization first and foremost. It's
1: certainly part of it. You know, you go from the fact that, you know, Stephanie Izzard's putting food together at Girl the Goats so people can come pick up food. And you look at Lee Wolin going in because he had dried ducks that were ready right now and he's not going to be able to serve them. So he took all the dry ducks to Northwestern Hospital yesterday. And you look at Meg Gallus and you look at Giuseppe Torrey who are delivering food to Lurie's Children's Hospital through the Anthony Rizzo Foundation. Everybody kind of went, you know, all their aces in their places. Everybody went to their places that they could help and, and do. And that was, for for our C-suite, that was their main focus, was to to provide relief for people. And then, you know, for Rob and I, it's, it's that. And also, you know, trying to be a part of the community, both here in Chicago um, and both on a national level. You know, I think Chicago is a really – interesting place because it's more kind of revelry than rivalry. Um, as my friend, Will Gadera likes to say. Um, and uh, a lot of people in here mobilized very quickly. Jason Hamill, Jason Vincent got together with 80 chefs like the next day and started having a conversation locally about how we could all help each other, um, which was amazing. And then, you know, the, obviously the IRC was formed and, and um, companies like like ours and, and one-off hospitality um, to uh, join that um, and start talking on a national level how we could talk and, and, and shape policy in, in D.C. So I think, I think the company's doing a lot of things. I think there's relief. There's, there's trying to help shape um, uh, uh, the stimulus bill. There's a lot of things going on.
3: But now we have to face what is the stimulus bill meaning to all of us. And we are spending countless hours educating ourselves and trying to become fluent in this small little document. And its impact on us moving forward
2: do you think after this there has to be somebody from the restaurant world in congress
3: 100 I mean, we, need, we need lobbyists yeah. i mean, i don't both. i
2: don't mean a lobbyist i mean an actual elected official like someone who can hold space on the floor and has public reach and can talk
1: yeah i think i think that's interesting i think if you look like if you look at marco rubio and rubio was very responsible for the, the bill that did come out in the end. And part of that was because his, his mom and dad both worked in hospitality. Um, and he had some understanding of it. But I think you know this, Howie, that, that, that Washington has very little color and context to the restaurant business and how it operates. Which is so works.
3: messed up because we have 15 million people in our industry and we're accounting for about 4% of the GDP. So, Howie, it's a, I think you're probably right. I think it's overdue. And it's something moving forward that that you know, that would be amazing to have a voice permanently there. Are you talking about industry.
1: Senator Will Gadera? He doesn't have a job right now. <laughs> Skeletons. Skeletons. Uh, we need we need a better. <laughs> senator danny
2: meyer i, I mean i, I it's uh, you know I can see Tom Calicchio being a really excellent representative too he 's so versed on policy and he 's gone to the hill so many times to testify, so I think there's a lot of people i mean a o c is is probably the closest right now she's at least you know the, the member of Congress who has most recently worked in a bar mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. So you're the, you're the uh, second person to bring up Marco Rubio on, on this show, and it's just, like, it's, it's astonishing to me. <laughs> it is astonishing. Really,
3: truly
1: astonishing. <laughs> well, you know what? He was there when this industry needed him. It's and he true. was barking
3: the loudest. And it's no, Yeah. So that, that obviously, yeah. Politics aside, yeah, you yeah. know, on both sides of the aisle, there's Dick Durbin on one side who was very, very helpful, yeah. and Rubio on the other side. I guess for yeah. you and I, it,
2: right. this makes me happy though i mean for the last four years we've heard almost nothing about any kind of bipartisan cooperation so mm-hmm. e- even to hear you know in this in this time that that's happening that's positive that's good
3: yeah yeah they still managed to kind of mess a bunch of that stuff up at the end mm-hmm. of it yep. you know and 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 you know you, you just hate when politics gets involved of something you know that's so once in a lifetime Type of situation for us right now, but listen, uh, the bill got got through. There's many positives with that bill, and yet you know we're still trying to sift through some of the the impacts it's going to have. So, you know, I, I I can tell you one thing: rent is due tomorrow, right. and for most, there is no money to pay it. So, you know, just looking at things moving forward, we need patience and understanding from our landlords. You know, and yet we realize they're in the same boat as us, and we all have a different version of the same problem. So we're all in the same fucked up economic ecosystem, and this thing goes from the very top of the food chain to the bottom of the food chain. If we don't pay our rent tomorrow, which just on record right now, we are not, that has profound effects on the real estate industry, right, which has effect on the banking industry. It just everything is so linked together. That that's why we are in such a precarious time for not just our industry, but for the economy. I mean, a recession is a, f- a foregone conclusion, right? It's how deep and does it get you know, down to the fact of a potential depression. It's just, there's so many things that are interlinked right now that make this so scary.
0: What did
2: you tell your landlords? Did you say, did you declare force majeure or did you just say, we're not paying some, it? How some, do you d-
3: de- some don't have, you know, there's different languages for mm-hmm. force majeure, clearly, but you know, this has to fall under act of God in any circumstance. So look, we, we communicated very early with our landlords and just said, um, we're just going to put you on notice right now that we're not going to be able to pay April rent. Um, we didn't, define and dig our heels in on anything. We said, we need to see the language with the stimulus bill. You know, right now it looks like the stimulus bill offers up to two months forgiveness on rent or mortgages. Um, but I mean, look, we, March was basically a throwaway. I mean, from the beginning from the beginning of March, business started to fall off and it really fell off a cliff after the first week. And so the second half was gone. So, Certainly April, there is no money in anyone's coffers to pay April rent right now. So we are going to probably be looking for rent forgiveness, not abatement, total forgiveness. And if they want to put on a month at the end of our lease, that's totally fine. We don't, we, we don't mind that. So if you have, a 10 year, you have 10 years left on your lease, make it 10 years in a month. Um, but we need to make sure this stimulus covers May, uh, May rent and June rent. But we don't know when we're getting back to work. What if this thing drags in to the middle of May? Well, then we're going to need
1: more rent relief. It's difficult to, it's difficult to write a bill when you don't know where the end is. Right. You know? right. So COVID is, is evolving every single day. Um, and so this bill needs to evolve. And there's a lot of hurdles that are tied um, to getting this eight weeks of forgiveness. You know? um, and so if they want us to get 90% back employed by June 30th, we don't even know if we what day we're open yet. Right. And so there's going to be a ramp up period. And, you know, if we open on June 1st, you know, we're not going to be busting at the seams on June 1st. There's, you know, there are going to be varying degrees of people's comfortability with sitting right next to somebody eating when we open no matter what.
3: The demand curve is what we just don't know. Yeah. And the demand curve, we, can't, we don't see, even if we do get back to work May 1st, we're not gonna see a peak in the demand curve, maybe to the fall.
1: Do people feel good about going to Wrigley Field, eating a hot dog, you know, and screaming at the top of their lungs? Um, right next to someone is that how, when does that comfortability come back? I don't know. I, I, I mean, listen, it
3: might, for some it might not ever come back. I mean, it's just, we, this is going to change us as a society. I believe that truly moving forward, just like 9-11 changed us as a society. You know, people sort of had amnesia with the recession, the great recession of 08. I think people kind of started to get amnesia by about 2013, 14. But what's happening right now is going to change people's habits, I think. For, for so many years to come,
1: if not forever.
2: And I it's think a, that it
1: will change our... Go ahead. Go ahead, Howie.
2: It's a, it's a double curve, too, right? There's the curve of when are people going to be comfortable, but there's also the curve of how much money are people going to have? How much cash are people going to have to spend in restaurants? What's it going to mean to go for a night out? Is, are all the fine dining places going to have to start also serving hamburgers? You know?
3: Yeah, Howie, putting $1,200 into the, into the hands of people, is a, it's a fine gesture, right? And yep. certainly it's needed. Yep. <clears throat> that is not going to change and, and drag people you know, into restaurants to spend whatever our normal check average is at every single restaurant. I'm telling you it's going to take time. Here's another thing. J- May, June, July are the busiest months for us by far. Chicago is full of, um, of, of business conventions, of, of, of baseball, of concerts, of all these things where so many people come to our city and flood our restaurants. Every single one of those is gone now. So mm-hmm. we're going to be opening even in the best of circumstances in May. But how many people are really going to be coming into our restaurants? I mean, Millions of people that only come flock to Chicago are not coming. And to every city. We're not, we're not alone being in Chicago, obviously.
2: Have you had time to have any initial conversations about what reopening things looks like and, and strategically what you're gonna have to serve and how things might change or has there not been a minute for that yet?
1: We haven't talked about shifting conceptually. There's certainly a talk about what's the critical path for reopening a restaurant. You know, For a lot of us, it's truly opening up a restaurant again. I mean, we broke all these restaurants down. The coolers are empty. It's reopening a restaurant. That doesn't happen in one or two days. You could do it in probably four days. Um, but yes, th- there needs to be a conversation at some point, depending on how long it takes to get reopened about how much middle-class sensibility do we need to inject in our restaurants? Because I think people will go out and drink right away. I think there's going to be this bounce. I am. Yes. <laughs> well, Rob's drinking already heavily. <laughs> um, no, um, I think, th- I think there's going to be this balance. There you go. Howie, just to let everybody know, Howie has a cooler
2: with unknown <laughs>
1: contents in it, but it looks more like a flask, actually. But well done. I mean, if he starts to slurry, you'll know what's happening. Um, uh, no, the I think it's twelve thirty. Come- <laughs> yeah, so well, well done. It's it's, I think people will come back. I think people will come back and, and drink. I do. I think that people are going to really want to come back and have some human connection and be able to talk to people. Um, I, you know, I think fine dining might take a little bit longer. So I think you're right. There might be that conversation. But there's, there's one thing that people have to
3: take into consideration. We're all going to be opening up at the same time. So how will the supply chain handle the reopening of thousands of restaurants at the same time? Logistically, it seems overwhelming to me. Everyone's going to be ordering, making a run on their, their produce, their, their proteins, There's all types of supplies and how are that's we also assuming
2: your supply chain has survived this
3: that's true not and yeah. and, and that's for surely not going to be a 100 percent guarantee for for many and and you know what and and the sobering reality it's going to be very similar just in our in our community i mean everyone is not surviving this and that is what's terrible and again it goes down the chain retailers from 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 restaurants and bars theaters retailers. It's going to be a different landscape when we emerge from
1: this thing. It's going to look very, very different. Yeah. You know how, when you look at that entire supply chain, who the restaurant business is, you know, not just the people that work in restaurants, but the farmers, the public relations person, um, the people that drive trucks, the the suppliers, it's such a, such a Mm -hmm. massive group of people. You know, we are the largest, private sector employer in the United States um, it's, it, it's a great big family of people so uh, we feel for everybody who's connected to this
2: Kevin we were just talking recently about uh, I'm being I'm being brought a sandwich this is this
0: is the oh, kind no. of care that's being oh that looks <laughs> good happening egg here. Salad
2: there? yeah it's an egg salad sandwich this is really oh, this is really yeah. incredible mm, I feel very lucky Um, So yeah, I got egg salad, but we were talking recently about the origins of your your business. You guys scraped it together. You made decisions to put it all on the line, not knowing when the money was going to come, not knowing when the keys were going to open the doors, not knowing when people were going to sit down at tables. Have you been thinking back now to those earlier days where you were consistently vulnerable and drawing lessons from then about how to act now?
1: You know, we were just having this conversation the other day about when we were opening uh, Girl on the Go. this is not the, the beginning of our company, but this is, you know, 10, 11 years ago. And at the same time we were opening that during the teeth of the recession, um, we went and basically spent the rest of our money that we had to take over a lease where GT Fish is. Um, and I think, I think it was Rob that said it. He put his hands on my shoulders and said, well, we're either going to do what really well or our kids aren't going to college. Um, and we, that's not that long ago, you know, that's a decade ago. And you go back to 2008 during the recession and him and I sitting in a booth and talking and saying, well, talking about defense, isn't very sexy, but we're going to have to talk about it right now. But at the Um, same time, look, uh, there was a little bit of
3: offense, right? Because when everyone is running for the exits, there's opportunity. And at that time in particular, it was very, very, very clear. There was incredible opportunity. And certainly in a situation like this, we don't want to look at it you know, being opportunistic, but in 08, 09, you know, 10 and 11, that's when we really exploded because we took advantage of opportunities and anomalies in the marketplace, certainly with real estate. It opened doors for us to start to purchase some of our own real estate, to, to, to capture leases that were, that were inexpensive. Um, and that was the biggest push of our growth. The difference now is we are a great big company. You know we have nearly two thousand employees a, a substantial payroll. we have commitments all over the place, so we're strangely more, way more vulnerable than we were then. We were sort of footloose and fancy free and we were able to move very quickly now again, we are luckier than most we We are going to get through this, and when we emerge from it it's going to be a different landscape but again, how we the the, the stark reality is there's going to be opportunities, and we
1: just have to sort of pick through, you know, what our goals are moving forward. I think the biggest opportunity, Howie, as a, as a uh, industry, is to look at this and systemically change the model of the restaurant business. I think what you're seeing right now is the, mar- the, the, the model was very fragile. Um, and what we now need to look at moving forward is, you know, how do we cut better real estate deals so we're not so... Uh, so, so we're not so vulnerable, you know, maybe, you know, cut the cost of goods sold number that we're all using as a model needs to be less. I don't, I don't know what all these Well, and occupancy are. and moving yeah.
3: forward, you know, I mean, again, this is going to have a profound effect on the real estate market because I mean, it just became kind of common for us to negotiate deals for real estate where we're paying extraordinary amounts of money for rent. And that, makes you feel vulnerable certainly at a time like this so i think it's going to change how we negotiate deals moving moving
2: forward i also think even though the economy is going to downswing that it's at some point the public has to be educated in terms of what restaurants need to do to take care of their staff and how that will mean food needs to cost more for them
1: 100 percent. yep I think, I think what you see is a surcharge happening in a lot of cities. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the, the model got disrupted a lot in California um, because of laws. And so on all the San Francisco restaurants you go to, all the Los Angeles restaurants you go to, you see a 3% surcharge and a 4% surcharge. You started seeing it in smaller restaurants here in Chicago. And either, yes, price is either going to have to raise the food or there's gonna be a surcharge on every, single, on, on every single menu to help better take care of our staff. And there's, there's gonna be, we're gonna be incentivized. There's
3: gonna be taxes that are gonna be deferred for us. There's going to be forgiveness, perhaps on some payroll tax. There, there are, we don't know the depths of all of the stimulus that's still coming through. I mean, good Lord, we need to hire someone full time to sort of sift through this whole, whole stuff. You know, we, we're, we're looking very closely at insurance I mean, it's kind of become a common fact here that all insurances have denied claims for business interruption, you know, but we, again, we had a civil authority order to close, yet the virus creates property damage by sticking on surfaces that in itself should trigger a business interruption.
2: Well, I think the yeah, lawsuit yeah. Thomas Keller filed in, in California could help set a huge precedent for the entire industry in terms of, of insurance and forgiveness in, in that respect. I think that's great, and I think things have to go to the courts. I have two more questions I want to ask you guys before we wrap. The first one is we, we've talked a lot about procedure and policy and banks and money, but I want to know from each of you what the most emotional moment has been for you throughout this crisis.
1: You know what? The most emotional that I got was... We got on a Zoom call with our chef partners and our directors, and we started talking about the day that we reopened. Um, And it made me think a lot about um, why I got in this business in the first place and um, how much I love being in a dining room and talking to people and and being with my teams um, in a restaurant. Uh, I, I love that part of it. I really do have a deep love for it. And I think that I forgot that a little bit um, towards the end. You know, once something's taken away from you um, you start to remember um, how much appreciation you had for it. The, you know, the young operator that was me and my first few restaurants, how much I loved seeing guests on a daily basis and how excited I was to show my restaurants off. Um, it was just that moment talking to all of them and, and, and them getting emotional about the same thing, you know, missing being together inside of a restaurant we do really do love what we do yeah
2: thank you rob
1: yeah i think you know it's a
3: natural impulse to to try to be looking out when something like this happens to look out for yourself for your family but you know at the same meeting when we were sitting there with these battle-tested chef partners of ours with our directors with our general managers the fear, you know, the fear that they all had and the uncertainty was incredibly sobering. I mean, you, you and the people that work underneath, you know, these people are, live paycheck to paycheck. There has to be humanity in all of this madness. You know, we have to figure out ways to, you know, we, we became very protective of everyone that we love in this business. And we want to try to do some good to help everybody I mean it was emotional because you know you kind of feel a little bit helpless and all you can do is try to to be a leader and to try to you know ease people's pain and fear Um, but I'm very proud of our team I'm very proud of our industry I'm very proud of our city and our community (laughs) the community that we live in in our hospitality industry in Chicago Um, and and I know you know, there are better days ahead. And so you know, we we are anxious to sort of get back to our playing field to do what we do and um and to sort of be reunited with um, you know, our team and the people that we love and um yeah that can't come soon enough.
2: Guys the show's called Takeaway Only. Um what's your biggest takeaway? What's your biggest learned lesson from the last couple of weeks?
1: You know I, I I heard someone say the other day that, you know, moments like these don't define people's character, they reveal it. Um, I think my biggest takeaway is you, you take a look at the landscape of the people that is around you in your life. Um, and um, I, I've, I've seen a lot of character. Um, I, I, I'm coming out of this thing with a deep appreciation for the people in my life that have shown me so much character uh, through this. Um, and uh, I just, uh, I love my industry, I love my city, um, I, have a, I have a lot of love, even though I'm trapped in my house, I, I, I just want to give a whole bunch of people a big hug as soon as this thing is over.
2: I know, I can't wait to hug it out. Yeah, man,
3: I'm with you. By the way, I, have, I do have a confession. Today is the first day I've actually put on real pants in uh, in about 12 days right now, I'm wearing jeans, but I mean, this is my first day sort of actually taking a shower, putting some jeans on. You know, Kevin and I are together here in the office to be with you today. And um, and we're grateful for the time you've given us.
2: I'm grateful for you guys. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it.
3: Peace, man. Thanks, Howie.
0: That was Kevin Bayman, and Rob Katz. You can follow their restaurants on Instagram at Boca Restaurant Group. Coming up tomorrow, Andrew Zimmern, Thank you so much for listening. Takeaway Only is produced by Casey Kahn, Rob Corso, and me, Howie Kahn, for Freetime Media. Our logo is by Reynald Philippe at B-Polls. Music by John Palmer. Special thanks to Kristen Millar, Antoine Ricardieu, Raphael Weil, and to the whole team at Welcome. Check out their important community building work at welcomeconference.org. We're back tomorrow. This is Takeaway Only.